Hello and welcome to the Victorian Gas Lamp, the podcast shining a warm light on the 19th century and most notably throughout the reign of Her Majesty Queen Victoria. Episode 10, that it has been a marada. Taggart has been a staple of UK television for over a quarter of a century. For those of you that have missed watching this investigative police drama, the catchphrase I mutilated at the beginning there is a classic with as many R's as you can roll into it. But I couldn't help but use it for this episode because there was nothing the Victorian era populace loved more than a sensational murder. I'll be talking of the iconic Penny Dreadful publications another time, but as we're hitting double figures for the podcast, I thought it was a chance to pander to the sensationalism of the Victorian times and be like so many of the papers at the time and give you a murder that was a scandal, a mystery, and maybe something more. Once upon a time, there was a girl by the name of Maria Morton, Born on July 24th, 1801, her father Thomas was a mole catcher, by trade, in Polstead, Suffolk. She was recorded as being an attractive woman and must have been quite the popular girl about town, given that by 1826 she had two children out of wedlock from men in the neighbourhood. Scandal. One had sadly died as an infant, but the other was a boy named Thomas Henry. The father of Thomas, a man named Peter Matthews, did not marry Maria, but did provide funding to care for the boy. So Maria was raising Thomas alone when the 24-year-old single mum met the 22-year-old William Corder. William was the son of a local farmer and had something of a reputation of his own about town. Known as Foxy at school for his sly manner, he was known to the local populace as a fraudster and also as a ladies' man. He must have definitely been the persuasive type. The child that Maria had lost, the father of that child had been Thomas Corder, William's older brother. Awkward, well, for us at least. And why a fraudster? Well, William had been caught selling his father's pigs, no less. His father settled the matter out of court, but clearly not having learnt his lesson, William later passed a forged cheque, as well as working with another man in stealing a pig from a nearby village. Quite the catch for Maria then. He had been sent to London in disgrace and to get him out of town, but returned to Polstead when his older brother the one that Maria had been stepping out with at one point, died of drowning while attempting to cross a frozen pond. Within an 18-month period, his other two brothers and his father had all died in unknown ways. At least I couldn't find any information out on them, including through genealogy records. With only his mother at the farm, he had to return to help her. So, back in Polstead, William starts a relationship with Maria. He had apparently wanted to keep the coupling a secret, but true to Maria's fertile form, she was soon pregnant and, this time, was keen to marry the soon-to-be father. 
1827, Maria gave birth to yet another son, although, like so many children of the 1800s, sadly, this one died. But William still wanted to marry Maria, however, and at this point you know the news would have been all over town. Local bad boy gets brother's former lover pregnant, that'd be all over the news today, let alone in a small town like Polstead. William then thought it best that the couple should elope to Ipswich. He reportedly told this to Maria in front of her stepmother that she would meet him at the Red Barn where they would leave quietly. The local landmark building was called the Red Barn for the distinctive red tiles on the roof and it's believed to have been one of the local places that the two would meet secretly before Maria's pregnancy. Added to their desire to marry was that William told Maria of rumours that the local parish officers were going to prosecute her for having illegitimate children. So Maria then agreed to this journey and they were going to leave the next day, on a Wednesday. But delays occurred and it was actually on Friday the 18th of May, 1827, when William went to Maria's home saying that the local constables had obtained a warrant for Maria's arrest. Worried about leaving in broad daylight, Maria's concerns were assuaged by William's idea of meeting at the barn, having her change into men's clothing and then slipping away to Ipswich. William then left and after gathering her things, Maria set out to the Red Barn, a building about a half mile away to meet her beau and start her new life. And it was the last time that she was seen alive. I can just imagine your surprise when I tell you that William also vanished. But then William came back. Now I can imagine your shock at that. Okay, maybe not. That William was saying that Maria was in Ipswich, or else he'd say somewhere else nearby, telling her family that she was staying away because her return would anger his family and relatives. But pressure from those impulsed to produce his wife forced him to leave the area yet again. He then wrote letters to Maria's family saying that they were living on the Isle of Wight. In his writing, he stated that Maria was unable to contact them herself because she had been unwell, because she had hurt her hand, or because the letters she had sent must have been lost. I'm sure they're all completely legitimate excuses, right? Yeah. And then... The dreams began. Not William's dreams, but those experienced by Anne Martin, Maria's stepmother. I did say this murder mystery had something more to it, remember? Anne began telling people that she was dreaming that Maria had been murdered and buried in the Red Barn, never having left Polstead. This was almost a year after Maria had vanished. And in April 1828, she finally managed to persuade Maria's father to go to the Red Barn and dig in one of the grain storage bins. To the man's horror, in the bin he found the remains of his daughter. Badly decomposed, she was identified by clothing, hair and a known missing tooth. Also, William Corder's green handkerchief was found tied around her neck. The inquest to identify Maria was conducted at the Cock Inn in Polstead. 
you can still visit there today. It's, the, it's still an ongoing pub. Constable Ayres of the Polstead Police was tasked to track Corder down. Assisted by James Lee, an officer from London, they tracked the man to where he was running a boarding house for ladies in the town of Brentford. As an aside, James Lee is the officer who later led the investigation into the supernatural being known as Spring-Heeled Jack. That's a podcast that is coming up soon, trust me. The business was quite successful and William was doing well on a work and personal levels because he ran the boarding house with Mary Moore. She was his new wife. Well, that's got to be awkward. It was reported by Thomas Hardy in the Dorset County Chronicles report of his capture that William was, quote, in parlour with four ladies at breakfast, in dressing gown, and had a watch before him by which he said he was minuting the boiling of some eggs, end quote. This trial was such a sensation that entry to the courtroom was by ticket only. Let's face it, combining an affair, hidden love, murder, scandal and prophetic dreams was a combination that we're still talking about today. Corder entered a plea of not guilty and the trial began. No evidence existed that the local police were ever going to prosecute Maria for her illegitimate children, so that worked against William. But in his favour, no actual cause of death could be established. Evidence indicated that a sharp instrument had been plunged into her eye socket, but this injury could also have occurred during the exhumation of Maria's body. She might have been strangled and the handkerchief was noted as having been found around her neck. Wounds indicated being shot and stabbed, and Maria's 10-year-old brother George said that he had seen William with a loaded pistol before the murder and later leaving the barn with an axe. The prosecution said that William had never wanted to marry Maria, but that she knew of his criminal dealings, including that of the fact that he had been stealing the child payments Peter Matthews had been making to Maria for their son. In court, William then admitted he had been in the barn, and they had argued and then he had left. Hearing a pistol shot, he returned to find Maria dead. Just before the jury went to deliberate, he pleaded to be given the benefit of the doubt. It took the jury 35 minutes to decide on William Corder. He was guilty of the murder of Maria Martin. Baron Alexander, the presiding judge, then sentenced the man, quote, that you be taken back to the prison from whence you came, and that you be taken from thence on Monday next 
to a place of execution, and that there you be hanged by the neck until you are dead, and that your body shall afterwards be dissected and anatomized. And may the Lord God Almighty of his infinite goodness have mercy on your soul. End quote. Yes, he was later going to be dissected. It was believed during this time that there might have been some sort of physical reason for such an evil act. So those sentenced to death would then have their bodies given to doctors to examine to seek reasons for such morally abhorrent behaviours. But the next three days, Corda languished in prison, reportedly agonising over whether to confess to his crimes and thus make his peace with God. After meeting with the prison chaplain, the prison warden and the governor of the prison and also his current wife Mary, he did so. William then confessed he did not stab Maria, but that he had accidentally shot her in the eye after they had argued while she was changing out of her disguise of men's clothes. On August 11, 1828, William was taken to the gallows. Too weak to stand without support, he was hanged at noon in front of a large crowd, in front of between... 7,000 and 20,000 people, depending on which report you believe, his last words were reported to be, I am guilty, my sentence is just, I deserve my fate, and may God have mercy on my soul. William Corder, thief, swindler, forger, murderer, was hanged dead at the age of 25. An hour later, Corder's body was cut down by the hangman, John Foxton. The hangman, as per his rights, claimed the trousers and stockings of the dead man. I'm not sure of the reasoning or why he'd want a messed up pair of pants, but okay. Uh, the body was then taken to the local hall, where it was slit open along the abdomen and exposing all the muscles. Crowds were allowed to view the body until 6pm. Local news reports say that more than 5,000 people queued to see the body. Well, they didn't have TV, but I don't know if I'd be going along to that. Uh, the following day, the dissection and post-mortem were carried out in front of an audience at Cambridge University. Now, you that have listened to my podcast on Mary Shelley might remember my brief comments on galvanism. This is where the electrical currents are applied to dead creatures, including human corpses to obtain a physical reaction. It's believed that this was done on William's body, demonstrating a contraction of various muscles. Nothing like making a known murderer's dead body animate, is there? Entertaining fun for all. Apparently they couldn't examine his brain, so they fell back on the <coughs> cough science of phrenology. As a quick aside, Phrenology had been around for centuries, but in current terms was developed by Franz Gale in 1796, followed the idea that measuring bumps and measurements of the human skull can indicate personality traits. Using this technique, William's skull was asserted to be profoundly developed in the areas of secretiveness, acquisitiveness, destructiveness, imitativeness, and a tendency to produce offspring and there was little evidence of benevolence or veneration. So, not good then. 
Later, William's skeleton was reassembled and used as a teaching aid, then on display at the Royal College of Surgeons. It was only cremated in 2004. I'm sure he never imagined that happening. Should have just run away to Ipswich when you think about it. But what of those incredible dreams that Maria's stepmother had? The dreams that led her to finding a poor girl dumped in a grain store like garbage. Naturally, rumours started. Because stepmother Anne was actually only a year older than Maria. And gossip began that Anne and William had been having an affair. And that Maria had been removed for the affair to continue. And what of the child of William and Maria? When alive, both Maria and William had claimed the child was sickly and had died. They had apparently buried him in Sudbury, but no grave was ever found. The argument they had had in the barn was over the possible discovery of his body. And on top of all of this, William's new wife, Mary, was pregnant at the time of the trial and shortly after his execution gave birth to her son, John. Like I said at the beginning of the podcast, a good murder was the meat and gristle of 19th century news. Polstead became a tourist venue with visitors travelling from as far afield as Ireland. An estimated 200,000 people visited Polstead in 1828 alone. Pieces of the rope which was used to hang a quarter sold for a guinea each. And a lock of Maria's hair sold for two guineas. Part of Corder's scalp with an ear still attached was displayed in a shop in Oxford Street. The macabre was the entertainment bread and butter of the Victorian era. After all, having something like that on display would certainly draw in your customers. The barn itself was stripped for souvenirs with the planks actually being made into toothpicks because hey, you can sell more of them. Slated to be demolished, it actually burnt down in 1842. Sadly, Maria's tombstone in the St Mary's churchyard was chipped away at by souvenir hunters and now only a sign on a shed marks the approximate place it stood. Martin's Lane in Polstead is her lasting legacy. You can still travel along it today. With the amount of media attention and gossip the murder trial created, it should come as no surprise that even while Corder was awaiting trial, that plays were already being performed covering these salacious events. There were even Punch and Judy marionette shows being performed for the public's consumption. A penny broadside printed covering details of the murder sold over a million copies. But even in just the theatre, the Red Barn murder couldn't help but make news, and in the oddest of ways. In 1874, the curtain fell early on a performance just as the actor playing Cordor was to be hanged. The audience almost rioted in demanding to see the hanging and booed during the playing of the national anthem as the manager ejected the crowd. A few years later, an actor playing Cordor blew his finger off with the apparently prop pistol in the murder scene going off accidentally. Even as late as 1930, an actor broke his leg during rehearsals for the hanging scene, finding out that the rope and harness had not been set correctly. 
Just like modern TV shows, books and movies, it seems that for society, some things never change. Sex and murder will always sell. Maybe everyone should just have listened to Samuel Smith, the thief that William had been with when they had tried stealing that pig from the nearby village. When questioned by police about the theft, Smith said the following about William Corder. I'll be damned if he will not be hung one of these days. So here endeth the episode. My website is victoriangaslamp.com. You can email me at victoriangaslamp at gmail.com with any suggestions you might have for future episodes. Happy to look into whatever might interest you as well. You are the ones listening on Twitter at VicGaslamp and my Instagram account is VictorianGaslamp. Post there probably a couple of times a week and I do it as a bit of a, an extra aside to the podcast itself. Speaking of which, the next episode will be out in two weeks so keep a lookout for that and I'll see you next time under the gas lamp. <laughs>